everyone, and welcome back to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins. I'm so excited to tee up my guest today. I think you're going to love her. This interview was so much fun. Her name is Heather Monahan, and she's a best-selling author, keynote speaker, entrepreneur, and founder of Boston Heels. Heather successfully climbed the corporate ladder for nearly 20 years, and she's one of the few women to break the glass ceiling and claim her spot in the C-suite as a chief revenue officer for a major media company. After she was named chief revenue officer, she was promptly fired. Heather tells her story in this podcast. Uh, she talks about how it changed her life, how it inspired her to become an entrepreneur, and how she grew her confidence to believe in herself. In fact, she even wrote a book called Confidence Creator, which shot to number one on Amazon's business biographies and business motivations in the first week it debuted. She is a confidence expert and works with Fortune 500 companies. She works with professional sports teams. She works with individuals. She has a new mentorship and executive coaching plan all centered around helping people develop the confidence that they need to take their success to the next level. I started listening to Heather's podcast a couple of years ago, and well, about a year ago now, and uh, I knew I wanted to have her on this show once I created Reflect Forward. Uh, she's a lot of fun. We have a lot in common, and I hope you enjoy it. So hang tight. I'll be right back, and, uh, and I'll introduce you to Heather. All right, welcome back, everybody. I am so excited to have you meet Heather Monahan. Uh, I've been listening to her podcast for about a year now and just finished her book, uh, Confidence Creator. And I think she'll have all kinds of fantastic insights and tips for us. So welcome, Heather. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me on. All right, so tell us a little bit about how you became the confidence creator. So I lacked confidence essentially growing up and didn't really know it was something that I had the potential to address. And I had grown up poor and just worked really hard my entire life, ultimately making it to the C-suite in corporate America. I was a chief revenue officer of a media company and I was fired 30 days after being named one of the most influential women in radio and really was blindsided um, I took that opportunity to say, wow, I, you know, I'm devastated and I had really associated my confidence and self-worth with a paycheck, with a title and with my responsibilities at work. And I recognized it in that moment and decided, you know, I've got this thing wrong. I've got to take a harder look at, you know, what I value at, you know, how I feel about myself. And I built out a 30 day roadmap to create confidence within myself. And that was three years ago. And here I am now. So how did you get inspired to build that roadmap? Like, give us your tips. I was just inspired ultimately by having that realization that I was clear in that moment when I got fired, I had been putting value on the wrong things and, and really had valued. I used to say I have golden handcuffs. That's what I would tell people because I hated this woman at work. She hated me. She treated me terribly, but I'd always say I'm a single mom and I have golden handcuffs. I can't, I can't quit my job. And that was not right. What I should have been saying to myself was, hey, if you come home from work and you're unhappy, you don't like how you're being treated, put yourself first, stand up for yourself, own your worth, and you know you'll find other opportunity. 
but I wasn't doing that. And it, and it took me getting fired to realize that I was making the wrong choice and I wasn't putting myself first and, and making that decision once I was fired to start putting myself first started me down this new path to, to really create sustainable confidence. And did you know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur or was it after you got fired that you realized, hey, I might be able to do this on my own? No, I, I was 43 years old when I got fired and I'd always excelled, beyond excelled in corporate America. I did so well. I, I was an equity partner in my early 20s. I made the VCs $30 million. I more than doubled the company's revenue. Uh, at the media company, when I got there, we were billing $100 million annually. When I got fired, we were in excess of $200 million annually in an industry in decline. I had done so well in corporate America, there was never any doubt that that is exactly where I was supposed to be in the lane I was meant for, growing revenues and, and making shareholders wealthy. I never in the craziest dream thought I would ever work for myself. Yeah. And so your roadmap led you to create Boston Heels. Tell us about that. No, a year before I got fired, I started having these moments of self-reflection where I would say, you know, it doesn't make sense that I'm not sharing my story with other people. I want people to know that whether you're a guy with purple hair or you're a woman with blonde hair, you have that equal opportunity to succeed and make it to the C-suite. When I was young, my first year out of school, I worked for the Gala Winery and every quote unquote boss was a white man in his 50s wearing a blue pantsuit. That's who he was. And when you see that as who a boss is, you begin to think that that's the only person that can be the boss. But what I learned through making a tremendous amount of mistakes and doing a lot of things right was that I actually was the boss. I was the most qualified for the job. I was the quote unquote boss in heels. And I didn't, it didn't matter that I didn't have the blue pantsuit or that I wasn't in my fifties or that I wasn't a guy. It was about my deliverables, my leadership, my vision and my abilities. And I wanted to share that message with other people that might have been under that same disillusion that I was that, oh, you know, it's only for guys. It's only for white guys. And and I wanted to share that message with the world that no, you can rock who you are and be the boss. You don't have to go ahead with this, you know, approved boss concept. And so that was what where hashtag boss and heels came from. And that was a year before I was fired. I was ultimately fired for launching this. Um, it, the company was extremely uncomfortable with me taking my social media profiles public with me talking and sharing my stories around the hashtag boss and heels and talking about owning and rocking who you are and, and being the boss that you have within and and they hated it and the GC called me and threatened me and told me I had to take everything down and I said no and I had you know I had begun to in those moments create confidence within myself although it wasn't deliberate or intentional but I, I knew I was standing up for something big, some, something bigger than just making shareholders money. I was standing up for myself and my voice and that younger me or that younger guy with the purple hair that's being told he can't succeed looking the way he does. And that's what my why was. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. Uh, I was a CEO at the young age of 29 in a very male-driven industry. And I remember walking into the VP of one of our biggest 
clients' offices and him telling me that there was absolutely no way that I was going to succeed at this. And he didn't know why I was hired for this position. And it was like, it was the hardest thing to deal with because I was like, what do I even say right now in this moment? And I said, well, you know what, I, I appreciate your support and I'm going to prove you wrong. But it's the same thing in, in our industry as well, where it's a man's world. And, and, and it really took me believing in myself and having a lot of a support system to be able to know that I could succeed in a male-dominated industry. So your story very much resonates with me. So tell me, what did your uh, what did your playbook lead you to do? So you you get fired, you put together your thirty day playbook. Tell us what happens next. I, I literally drew out a grid on a piece of paper. It's actually in front of me still. I keep it on on my desk so I can be reminded of it. And the goal was, I knew if I focused on gratitude, that would start bringing more good things to me. So that was my number one first step was focus every morning on gratitude. And I did it with my son every day when I used to take him to school. This is pre-pandemic um, three years ago. And we would say, okay, what are you grateful for today? And so that was my number one, very simple focus step anyone can take that absolutely will bring positive thoughts to you, positive opportunities. The other thing I did was I fired my villain the day that woman thought she fired me. I actually fired the most toxic per person in my life from my life. And when you get rid of negative people from your life, you allow positive people and positive opportunity to come in. And I will tell you, it came in like crazy. And I didn't realize strategically that that's what I had done. But my son always says, I love that that lady thought she got to fire you that day, but you actually fired her. And I said, yeah, you're right. That's exactly what happened. It was a great trick that mommy pulled off, but it worked, right? That getting that woman out of my life was, that was the real key for me because I didn't any longer have someone who was always talking negative to me, always looking at me with this disapproving look, these really passive aggressive attacks that like, Chinese water torture, after a while, it really starts chipping away at you, right? And now that was gone, it was removed from my life. So slowly I stopped second guessing myself. Slowly I started listening to my intuition, started taking these steps to believe back in me and, and start owning my voice and standing up taller because I didn't have someone constantly chipping away at me. So that was really critical. Another thing is I would take action steps every day and I would write down the action steps that I would take. I'd also write down what I didn't know was gonna happen that happened that day. Meaning on day two, I decided no one's calling me. No one knows I got fired. This lady's trying to hide it. There should be a press release out about this. I was a C-suite executive at a company for 14 years, fired for no reason. Something's not right. So I put a post up on LinkedIn and I just said, I have just been fired. After 14 years of continuous advancement, this really hurts. If I've ever done anything to help you, I'd love to hear from you today. And that post went viral. And so what I did was I was vulnerable and I owned my truth. And I put getting fired to work for me where most people feel ashamed of being fired. And, and I felt that way for sure. I was super embarrassed the day that it happened. I felt bad about myself. But one thing I've learned over the years is when you shine a light on shame, you claim it instead of letting it claim you. And I flipped the script on shame and I put it to work for me and everyone in the world was reaching out to me that day. And uh, Froggy from the Elvis Duran show tweeted at me, hey, Heather, I've been following you. If there's ever anything I can do to help you, please let me know. And I tweeted right back, great, get me on the show. And he did. 
And so I flew to New York and went on the Elvis Duran show, had no idea what I was getting into. I was scared to death. And halfway through the interview, he said, obviously you're writing a book. And I said, obviously, but I wasn't writing a book. But he transferred his confidence in me to me in that moment. And I got on the plane and I Googled, how do you write a book? And it's basically, you just have to, you know, commit X amount of hours a day to doing it. And it's funny because I'm, I just mentioned to you, I'm finishing my second book right now. So later today I have to sit down and type and finish my book. So, but back then I didn't know anyone can write a book and it's not that hard. And people try like anything to tell you, oh, right, it's a daunting task to write a book. BS, it was so not hard. And for me, I, I never thought I was you know, an intellectual or I wasn't an English major. So I, I thought maybe I'm not even allowed to write a book, you know? And so I started Googling and learning more and more and started realizing a lot of jackballs have books out there. Well, I can do one too. And so I just said, you know, I'm going to do it. And then I found an editor and he was light years ahead of me and he helped me you know, speed up the process. And then I found a self-publishing company and they helped me speed up the process. And the next thing you know, I had a book. That's awesome. I know so many leaders who want to write a book, me included. I've been writing blogs for six years, so I have a ton of content, but it is overwhelming. You have a book, you, no, no, no. You have a book right there. Like literally yeah. stitch that together and put that yeah. out as your first book. And at yeah. least then you've got something. Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. I just need to do it because it is, but it does feel a little bit overwhelming. Like how do I go self-publish? So that's very inspiring that you put it together that Easy. fast. How long did it take you from the time that you walked off of that show until you published your book? So that was September, uh, 2017. And I finished the book before Christmas. So it was only a few, you know, th maybe three months, two and a half, three months. And then I got the editor. He helped me to edit everything right away. January, I reached out to Scribe Media, which is a great company to work with. I, I love them. President of the company's great guy good friend of mine. And he and I worked together to get that thing to market. And it, the book dropped May, May of 2018. So the yeah. whole process was, you know, eight months. Yeah. And I love the book. Uh, one of the stories that resonates in me is that you played softball. I played softball as well. So I'm curious, uh, what leadership lessons did you learn uh, from, from playing fast pitch softball, being part oh of team gosh. sports? So I learned so much. I, I really, I hate right now that kids aren't being able to play sports, my son specifically, because it's such a wonderful time in life to be a part of a team, right? So to, it's to recognize that you're not alone. While your contributions are critical to success overall, it isn't just about you. And no one's going, no team sport, you can't win just because you're the greatest pitcher in the world. Somebody has to feel the ball behind you, right? Yep. So realizing as a leader, it's not about you, but instead it's about the strength of all of us together and learning that, you know, when I was younger, maybe I would be threatened by somebody else that they were better. But now when you're on a team with them, it's exciting to be with someone that's better than you because you need to up your game, right? So I, I began to view competition differently as a, a way of, mo I was motivated by being around better people and, and wanting to get to the next level, wanting to make the all-stars. And then once you get to the all-stars, push yourself so that you weren't being on it, that team and that you can be there to support those people and join in with them. You know, all of those experiences really helped me in my future in business. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And so now that you're running your own empire, have your views on leadership changed? 
No, not, no, not at all. You know, I, um, I guess what, what's different for me being an entrepreneur versus being a leader in corporate America is, and, and I was wrong, but this is how I used to view it. Corporate America is very well lit. You can see once you're VP of sales, the next move is EVP. And then from EVP, it was CRO. And then from CRO, my next move was CEO. And if I couldn't do it at that organization, I could go to another one within the same. Everything was just so well lit to me. I knew exactly where to go and what to do next. Now that I'm in this entrepreneurial world, world which I have zero experience in, I'm three years in right now, you know, it's not well lit, it's dark. And I never know, how do you know to write the book or how do you know to launch the podcast? And how do you know if you should do this brand partnership? And how do you know that you should be a speaker? I don't know any of these things. So the only way I know is by testing it, you know, by going to market and just taking that chance, rolling the dice on me and seeing what sticks and what doesn't. And that's been the, the biggest challenge. So one of the things that you talk about in your book is overcoming fear and the you know, self-imposed roadblocks that you put up. So how do, you, uh, how do you talk to yourself when you're feeling like, oh boy, I don't know how to go do this, or I might be a little bit scared? And how would that translate into advice to other leaders who seem to get in their own way all the time? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I've been doing this for three years. The minute I feel fear now, I get excited. And there is a fine line between fear and excitement, right? So if you can train yourself, this is all I've done is train myself. I have now through three years of conditioning, trained myself that fear is a green light that means go and go faster. So the minute I start feeling scared, I, I say, oh my gosh, I'm about to grow. I'm about to do something really positive for me because if I step into the fear, something amazing is gonna happen. And the best story that I can give to illustrate this is I gave my TEDx talk in November. It was the scariest moment, probably other than the day my book launched. I was super scared that day too. But this is probably even worse because it's so finite and forever and you can't fix it. And it's just once you do it, it's done. And I, the fear that came over me walking out into that red circle was almost debilitating. However, I've done a great job training myself, just like Pavlov's dog. And if you study psychology, you know that the minute a bell rings, a dog, if they've been trained properly, will start to salivate knowing food is coming. I have trained myself that same way. I've done that through how I dress through the scents and using lavender through my playlist. I have a playlist what, right when I'm about to do something major that I, I shut, the world goes out, these go in and that playlist turns on. And the minute I hear it, it's like the dog hearing that bell. I start saying, oh, I'm about to go kill something. I'm gonna crush something. Something amazing's coming right now. <laughs> and I feel all these feelings and it's real. And then I go and crush it. And that one instant of having to walk out to that red dot I got so, so nervous and I said to myself, if you don't go out there right now, you'll never forgive yourself. If you go out there right now and blow it, I'm gonna be so proud of you. And that's what got me to walk out. I just took all the pressure off me. It wasn't about the outcome anymore, even though I had trained for this thing for two months solid, I had worked my butt off for it and I was prepared, you know, you need to still do the work. But I decided to say, this is about me walking out there. This is not about what's gonna be taped you know, for TEDx. And that TEDx talk got promoted to TED. It got translated to six different languages. I'm so freaking proud of it. I killed it. I love that talk. It's amazing. And it's this amazing message. And you know, so I'm super proud of it, but none of that would have happened if I hadn't stepped right into that fear. 
So I, I watched your TED talk and it's fantastic. And I can to so relate because every time I go on stage, the same thing happens and I could see that, you know, okay, here I am. And then by, you know, a minute in, like you were on this role and you could just tell that you had gotten really comfortable and you knew that you were owning it. And it is amazing how that first like 30 seconds of fear. And then if you're prepared, boom, you go in and nail it. And it was, um, it was really, I really watched it from that lens because I can relate. And so I was listening to the words, but I was also watching like, you know, how did you progress through that talk until the end when I'm sure the audience was standing and cheering and it was really no, fun. No, they weren't. It's such <laughs> BS. And this is, this is not, listen, I'm not the most humble person in the world, but I'm, I'm also just very direct. I, most of the time when I speak, I get a standing ovation. Uh, That's definitely what I'm best at. Like I, there's lots of things I'm not good at, but I'm really, I'm a very strong public speaker. I anticipated, I went to the venue ahead of time. I saw that I was going to get a standing ovation. I was the first speaker that day. And at the end, I was all smiles. I was so excited because I was so proud of myself. And then I was ready for the, and no one stood up. And I was like, what the hell is going on? I'm like, wait a minute. Am I tricky? Did I just blow it? I thought I just did a great job. And I was so pissed when I got off the stage, I ripped that microphone off and they were like, Heather, calm down. I'm like, no one stood up. What's going on? It's upsetting. So do they stand up in TED Talks or does nobody get a standing ovation? You know, that's a great question. So I was really upset about it. I mean, I was super proud of myself, but I was also like, oh, I'm bummed, you know, why didn't that, I had anticipated it, it didn't happen, bummer. And when I went behind the stage, one of the guys that was running the event was back there. And I said, I, I thought I did a really good job, what happened? And he explained to me, he said, listen, sometimes when you go to an event like this, it's a lot, you know, big room of intellectuals. It's not like your typical event venue that, that you're going to do a motivational talk and people are there to be motivated. He said, so number one, you're the first speaker. So like, they're just getting warmed up. He's like, just my point is Heather, don't take it personally. Mm -hmm. Then later in the day, um, a guy got a standing ovation and I was like, oh, so maybe, maybe my talk didn't connect with that audience, but I guess you do get, some people get standing ovations at TEDx talks, just not me. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that story. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, another topic that you talk about in your book that I like, and I'm such a believer in this is ask for what you want. I've started asking for what I wanted as soon as I could talk. And I believe that it is 100% the reason why I am where I am today. So that part really resonated with you, but with me, but so many people don't know how to just ask for what they want. So what suggestions do you have? How do you get started if you've never done that before? Yeah, well, if you never, the right time to do it was to do it, you know, last year, 10 years ago, if you haven't done it yet, this is the only time. Everyone is in sales. And lucky for me, I truly was in sales most of my career. So when you're in sales, you begin to understand that ass are a number game. So whether it's me pitching my book deal, you know, it's not about the 15 no's I got, it's about the one yes. But you can't get to the one yes if you don't ask the 15 times prior. And by asking 15 times prior, your ask gets better and better based upon the feedback that you get from people. So you are only setting yourself up for more success the more you ask. 
ask. So if you haven't been in sales your whole life, like I have been, or you haven't been aware that you're in sales because everybody's in sales, you need to start asking now and start with, you know, something small at go to Starbucks and ask if you can have a water for free or the next time you check into a hotel, ask for the upgrade. What is the worst that can happen, right? You are told no. And remember, you need to ask so many times before you get to that yes. So I challenge myself daily. I, I do it so much so now, I don't even think about it, but I ask for everything, whether it be to get something comped or to get something upgraded or to ask for more feedback. You know, just realize that the more that you exercise that muscle, the stronger it's gonna get, the better you're gonna get at it. And then the more yeses you'll get. I love that. I think in one of your podcasts with a friend of yours, I can't remember who it was, but you talked about that where he was intimidated for going up there and just asking. But if you exude that confidence, like I belong here, even if you don't feel that inside, it's amazing what you can ask for and how people will connect with you and your smile and you're nice and just practice asking and you'll be surprised. You'll get yeses more often than you think. <laughs> that's so funny The you're referencing the podcast with Cal Fussman yes, and that's Cal is. is he is, I mean, internationally recognized, you know, one of the best interviews. He interviewed Kobe Bryant, interviewed every famous president you can think of, right? This guy's light years beyond you or I in, in the world of podcasting and interviewing. And he's yeah. so famous. However, he is so hung up on this idea of how do I ask for what I want? How do I pitch myself? He's never had to do that before. And it's just so interesting to see where you and I might put someone on a pedestal or see them through this prism of, whoa, they're so far ahead of us. Yet this, these simple things that we take for granted that we do every day, they're not able to, to do. So it's, for him, it was about accepting while you can be an expert in one way, you could be a novice in another. And it's okay to be both because you know we always need to evolve and grow. And so he started down this new path now where he is disciplining himself to, to ask. He is challenging himself and surrounding himself with people who are challenging him and holding him accountable so that he can grow his business. I love that podcast because it turned from this whole you interviewing him to you giving him all of his coaching advice. That was so bad. <laughs> I was supposed to be interviewing him. Instead, I start yelling at him about that he's not you know, promoting his business. <laughs> it was awesome. It was really good. I totally enjoyed it. And he was like, more, more, more. I know I just need to do this. I don't know why I can't. <laughs> uh, well, I liked it a lot. All right, let's talk about pivoting. I think every leader today has had to pivot. Every entrepreneur has had to pivot due to uh, COVID. And um, walk us through your process of how you pivoted your business from being on stage and at live events to what you're doing now. Yeah, it, it wasn't easy, that's for sure. I My speaking business really exploded in Q4 of 19. I interviewed Sarah Blakely live on stage at a huge conference in Boston. I gave my TEDx talk. All these things were happening. And like anything, there's always a tipping point when you know you can see, oh, it's like it's starting to click. Oh, and I, I, I was clicking in Q4. And so Q1, I, I was getting booked left and right for live event speaking engagements. And the money is amazing in that business. And so I was really doing well. It was my number one primary revenue driver. And I'll never forget, it was like March 6th, I gave my last live speech. I got my check for my agency. And then all of a sudden, we were put on lockdown. 
So I jumped on my Peloton bike because I do my best thinking, create, creative thinking when I'm working out and I couldn't leave my house. So I went on the Peloton and it came to me right away. Heather, go look for the DMs, see what people have been asking you for that you weren't able to deliver because you were traveling too much for speaking. So I came right to my computer, I jumped off the bike, I went to my DMs and my social media, and within 15 minutes, it was crystal clear. People ask me all the time, do you mentor people? Do you do any consulting? Do you do business coaching? So I just said, okay, I, I need to take action. I went and put a post up on LinkedIn. I said, you asked, I've answered. You've been waiting for me to launch my executive coaching program. And today is the day. I, P.S. I knew I never hired a business coach. I've never worked with an executive. I don't know. I don't even know how much it was just like when I got into speaking, I had no idea. I'm like, right, I'll just go do it. If I fail, I fail and it'll pivot me somewhere else. Right. But not taking action is not the answer. And so that post sold out my first month executive coaching program. I offered a hundred percent money back guarantee because I didn't know what I was doing. And so I thought that'll be fair. I knew I needed to leverage testimonials and reviews and recommendations in order to grow the business. So I just was committed to having that happen. And I did that in the first month. I learned a lot. I, I was offering way too much value for too little dollar amount. You know, so I, I've grown that and evolved that business. However, during this time, I started getting booked for virtual speeches and I thought, oh my gosh, can I, I'm good on site, but can I translate through a computer? And I didn't know the answer. So the first one that I got booked for, I said, I will offer you a hundred percent money back guarantee. I don't know how it's going to go. I'll bring the best that I can, but I'm literally sitting in front of freaking zoom. Just, I don't know if it's going to work. And it went great. And so then I, I leveraged that testimonial on social media to grow my business. And then each one, I would collect testimonials, reviews and recommendations along the way. And now I just got hired by the event planner um, expo to keynote alongside Damon John for a huge conference that's virtual. It was supposed to happen in New York, but now it's happening on your computer. And so this is my first really major, huge. And, and then I was named, it was so random, uh, real leaders named me the top 25 female keynote speakers in 2020. And it's the funny thing is it's all about this virtual world that six months ago, I knew nothing about. Yeah. So as you're looking at these speaking events, do you think that you'll be able to still manage your executive coaching program? What is, what do you think that's going to look like in the future? You know, one thing I've learned is you can't, when I was younger, I'd always say in five years, I'm going to be here and 10 years, I'm going to be here. And this is, you know, and now here I am at 46 sitting, you know, at my kitchen table on zoom, you can't project that it's mm -hmm. impossible. And, and people keep asking me that, can I book a, a year long contract with you as my business coach? And I say, no, I'm not taking long-term mm -hmm. commitments in regards I'm not going to lie to people. My passion is speaking. I love doing the live events. You know, that's my thing. I really get so excited about it. Doesn't mean I don't like doing executive coaching. However, I'm allowing myself the flexibility to, to evolve as the world evolves, as this pandemic evolves. And currently we just don't know what that looks like yet. Yeah, no, I understand that. So going from leading and speaking to coaching is really hard. I try to be a coach with my employees as best as I can. And it's so hard because I just want to tell them what to do. Uh, it's like crystal clear, but you need to help them get there on their own. What has been the, the, the biggest lesson that you've learned as you've started this executive coaching program with helping people, you know, follow their dreams and create more success? 
It's so interesting. In many ways, it's like being a psychologist, mm -hmm. I've found. And, you know, I had thousands of employees on my team back in corporate America. So I mentored and coached hundreds of people, you know, across my career, if not a thousand people. So I had a lot of experience doing it. I just didn't realize that's what this was, right? Because I just figured it was different. It's exactly the same thing. If mm -hmm. you've led in corporate America, you can be a flipping business consultant. There's no difference. It's taking your expertise and dialing in, into one person instead of like you do on a stage to thousands of people. So to that point, what I found that's most interesting, I work with CEOs of gas and oil companies, CEOs of cyber security companies, I mean, all these weird and different industries I didn't know anything about. But guess what? There's one through thread that travels from industry to industry. And it's really founded in confidence. And it's so crazy to me. I work with a lot of men. Sadly, men have more money than most women or they're willing to invest more in their self that, mm -hmm. men, that women are not. Very yep. strange to me. That's like another eye-opening thing that I have realized men are happy to throw the money down to get better where women won't. They'll hold that money back to you know, spend on their family. Anyhow, so I, have, I, have, I end up having more male clients because they'll pay me. And so what surprised me was how insecure so many of them were and how that was their primary holdback. I'll give you an example of someone who we won't name, but this person didn't realize they were insecure. None of them do, by the way. The right. women will recognize it, the men don't. Yep. And I don't lead with that, obviously, because you need to establish trust and you need to understand what motivates someone, what drives them, because then they'll empty their glass to you. And the minute they empty their glass, that's when you can really help them. And so it, it typically takes up to a month to two months to really get someone to you know, pour that whole glass out in front of you. Yep. And once that happened, I saw this person was not living up to his potential as a leader. And it was really rooted in his own fears of being seen, not being vulnerable, thinking he always had to have the answers. And that was his struggle. And that's what we've been able to work on together. Although I didn't hit him over the head with it at first, we slowly started digging into it. And I'm so proud of him now to have watched that evolution, that self-reflection and really starting to step into, wow, I guess I really wasn't comfortable in who I really was. And I'm starting to be now. And that really is a, the evolution of confidence. Yeah, I completely agree with you. It's interesting. I'm part of uh, YPO, Young Presidents Organization, and we just did this uh, big retreat and we were doing this um, exercise where if you know, you've experienced something or haven't experienced something, you would step forward. And our facilitator asked the question, you know, how many of you feel like you don't belong? And I could not believe the number of men who stepped forward and how many are dealing with insecurities in what you're doing. And I could not believe, I mean, there were, all of us were on that. And I think it's so interesting because women are so much more vulnerable about the insecurities than men are. And when, you know, you really just see that we're all actually fighting our own inner demons, our own inner villains, it's really quite stunning. So it's, uh, it's interesting that, that you gave that example because I just went through that same experience of like, wow, we all actually have the same insecurities. <laughs>
Isn't that, that, but when people for so long weren't talking about it, and I'll take this back to my example in corporate America, I was working side by side with a woman who was my peer, who hated me, who appeared perfect. She'd always have her hair done the right way, her makeup the right way, her handwriting the right way. And I'm more like, ah, on the fly, I'm coming in and I've got this hot idea, let's take it to market. And everyone's saying, no, calm down and don't be like you, Heather, be like her. And so you, over time, you start thinking, it's just me that doubts myself. Like these people are perfect. Yeah. And, and a lot of people don't talk about that. And so grateful to, you know, Brene Brown and all these people who are shining a light on it today, because that allows you to feel, you know what? I don't look perfect and that's perfectly okay. And I'm yeah. so excited about that. Yeah, I know. I know. I finally in my forties, I am learning how to just let go of some of that stuff because it doesn't do any good and no one's looking at the stuff I'm looking at anyway. So why am I sitting here being so damn hard on myself when oh my gosh, that's it a chapter doesn't in my matter? New book. I had an NBA player reach out to me on LinkedIn. I tell the whole story in my new book. I just wrote this chapter yesterday. That's why I came to mind. He said, you know, you, you need to come meet with me and you don't know what I'm dealing with. And I, and I went and met with this kid and it was like sitting in front of a six foot seven version of my little boy. And he was just like my son. Like I, I just, everyone's watching me and the pressure on me. And it was, my feedback was exactly what you just shared. Actually, nobody's looking at you. And, you know, I understand that you think they are, but I've been to your game and I was on my cell and I was asking my son if he wanted a hot dog. And I, no one's watching. The yeah. challenge is trying to get people to look at you. And the minute you start flipping that around and realizing it's not all about me, it's about all of them. Then you're like, hang on, I'm at the, I'm at the free throw line. Take a look over here, you know, but yeah, letting go of that pressure you put on yourself that is actually completely upside down. So what was his response? It was good. I mean, we, he and I have stayed in contact now over the last, whatever it is, a year and a half, I guess. And we've met up in LA a number of times and you know, it for, he taught me something that I didn't realize. And it, it was really profound. The first minute I sat down with him, I was shocked. This guy makes like 15 million a year. And I'm like, why is he calling me? And you know, yet again, I had someone on a pedestal cause they were a professional athlete. Mm -hmm. But what he taught me was he said, Heather, there is one difference maker between LeBron James and me. And I said, what is it? Give me it. Like I'm dying to hear, is it Gatorade? You know, what is it? And he said, it's confidence in his belief in himself. He said, if you get to the level of professional athlete, the skill set's there, right? Like, like you've got the genetics, you've got the skill, like you've got that potential. The biggest difference maker is actually believing you can execute on it. And wow, that was a, yet again, another epiphany moment for me. Yeah, that's great. That's great. All right, well, we're gonna to start to wrap up. So I'd like to know what's your best piece of advice that you want to give leaders, entrepreneurs, anyone who wants to be at the top of their game? Oh my gosh, if, you, if you're working in your business, you're never gonna be able to work on your business, right? So many of us get caught up in that day-to-day -day grind. It happened to me for 14 freaking years. Instead of, hey, pump the brakes and I'm worth more than this and I'm gonna come out of this hot mess for a minute to actually see what, else, what other potential is out there to look beyond the industry you're in, look beyond the company and look beyond that little executive team that you're in. There is more, but you have to pick your head up to start seeing it. Yeah, great advice. Uh, I tell myself that every day. Get out of the weeds. <laughs> this does not matter. Don't let people suck. Or get, you a, into get it. a lawnmower and, and you know tear those weeds up real fast. <laughs> I like that. I like that. All right. So what's your next endeavor? What what's coming next for you? Yeah. So I'm finishing my book. I my deadline is 
quickly approaching, which I'm so a kind of person that needs deadlines. So thank you, Harper Collins, for offering that for me. So I'm I'm really excited to complete the book. Um, I'm, I've got some big virtual speaking engagements and praying that I start getting some on-site ones again, because I'm really looking forward to getting back in that energy of being around people again. Yeah, that's great. That's great. When does your book come out? In November 2021, November you said? November 2021, Leapfrogging Villains will be hitting the nice. New York Times bestseller list. Awesome. I'm so excited to read it. All right. And how can people find you? I'm at Heather Monahan on all social media and heathermonahan.com. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much for, uh, for joining this podcast, Heather. This was a lot of fun. I hope you had as much fun talking with me as I had interviewing you. Uh, Absolutely. And, thank you for having yeah. me. All right. Hang tight. We'll be right back. Okay. I'm back. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I had so much fun talking with Heather. Uh, we are already figuring out how we can collaborate on the next thing, probably some virtual event, and who knows, maybe someday we'll even be able to be on stage together. I, I'm looking forward to what the future might bring. Okay, so now, as you know, at the end of every podcast, I will answer questions that come to me uh, from anybody who's listening, and this one comes from somebody uh, who sent me a DM through LinkedIn, and he said, I really want to take my success to the next level. I want to achieve that higher higher level of performance, but I don't know how. I feel a little bit stuck. What are your tips? What's the secret sauce? And there are lots of different ways to become successful. It is a meandering journey, there's no doubt. But I did put together a couple things that I think are really important to consider in your leadership journey. First, you have to be willing to go the extra mile. You cannot ever achieve what you want if you do not work hard. And I'm not just talking about work hard. I'm talking about working harder, doing more uh, than the next person. It really is a little bit lonely out there in the extra mile because not a lot of people are willing to put in that kind of work and dedication and focus. But to achieve the greatest level of success, you have to go the extra mile. The second thing is, is you need to be inspired by your vision. You need to think Big. You need to be bold and you need to know what you want to achieve. You cannot go uh, on a leadership journey that takes you to that next level of success if you don't have a vision. And, uh, and I really like the, the Cheshire Cat quote out of Alice in Wonderland, and, and I've used this in several podcasts before, but if you don't know where you're going, any path will get you there. So you've got to have a vision so you know where you're going to go. And then that leads into the third thing, which is you have to have a plan. Uh, that roadmap is so key. It doesn't mean that you have to have it all figured out by no means. Uh, certainly you need to be agile and all kinds of things are just going to unfold in ways that you don't expect, but you still need to align your actions and how you respond to the various roadblocks or opportunities that come your way uh, so that you can get, you can take advantage of those to get to where you want to be. So for example, I said, yes, I love being a CEO. I love growing companies, but I also have this other passion to help leaders find their next level of success. And I want to be a social media leadership influencer. So what am I going to do? What actions am I going to take to get myself there? So the same thing that you have to do with the company, right? Okay, we have this vision. We know where we want to go. What's the plan? What steps are we going to take to get there? 
So I started the Industrial Theory Podcast about a year ago. I love interviewing. My podcasts are so much fun. I think they're very helpful to the industry. And that's what sparked the idea for Reflect Forward, saying, oh, I can do this podcast thing and be able to help people tell their stories around their own leadership journeys. And so I'm putting together the roadmap that can that can help me be able to make a bigger impact in the world through my podcasts, through my writing, and through other endeavors to come uh, in the future. So you got to have the vision, got to have the roadmap. Next, pay attention to the details. And I'm not talking about the weedy details, right? We, as Heather and I just discussed, right? You got to stay out of the weeds, but execution is in the details and you need to understand what's going on. Paying attention to the details helps you course, uh, course correct. It tells you if you're on track. Track, it can help you pause and just reflect and say, you know, is this, are we on the right path? Are these actions getting us to where we want to be? Are these actions getting me to where I want to be? So you have to pay attention to details. Greatness comes from focusing on the details, fine tuning the details. And then lastly, you have to be willing to put yourself out there. And that's a scary one, especially for a person like me, because I have a big likability factor. And I have realized that it's okay that not everybody's going to like what I do. Not everybody's going to agree with what I say. Not everybody is going to be 100% behind the decisions that I make. And that's okay. That doesn't mean that I am not going to do the hard work of putting myself out there for uh, talking about and evolving what I believe in. And, um, and that can be a little bit uncomfortable. And especially if you're provocative, especially if you are disruptive in what you're doing, but you just need to stay focused, put yourself out there, go the extra mile, have a vision, put together a plan, pay attention to the details and execute. And I think if you do those things, those five things, then you'll find that you are leveling up. And then once you level up, then the next thing you know, you're leveling up a little bit more and leveling up a little bit more and it starts to snowball. So don't be afraid of doing the hard work and, uh, and, and taking that next step. You never know where it's going to take you. Okay, that's it for today. Thanks for listening. I hope you all have a fantastic day. Uh, tune in for my next podcast. I interview a very good friend of mine. Uh, it's such an awesome interview. You're going to love it. He's very inspiring, but I'm not going to spill the beans yet. You'll just have to tune in and listen uh, in a couple of weeks. So take care and have a great day. And we'll be back soon. Bye.